at the bottom of the mountain, Moses' brother Aaron, who had become the high priest, which is amazing to think that through for just a little while, but he'd become the high priest. He would be the high priest. He has, he's going to build this golden calf, which is a very famous story. And as we go through this chapter, I just want to give you a, a peek ahead to how it all ends, where in the very end, it says that the Lord says to Moses, now, therefore, go lead this people. And behold, my angel will go before you. And this really is our topic tonight that we need to put over everything we read tonight. It's about who's leading us and where are they leading us? Why are they leading us and what are they seeking to accomplish with leading us? And who's, who are we leading and how are we leading and where are we leading? So tonight's text is all about leadership. We will see failed leadership and we will see faithful leadership and we'll see what Yahweh the Lord has to say about both those because he has the final say. So the study tonight is, fair, is a fairly serious study, but it's a very important study because there's many voices and it's important. Like Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And you've heard me say many times we want to be led by the Lord so we can lead for the Lord. So that's our background where this is going. So Moses on the mountain, you know, the Ten Commandments, and we read this. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they, then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. It's a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is the scene that introduced this text to us tonight. This scene where the people are leading instead of being led by good leadership. They are putting in motion their carnal desires and Aaron is going to appease that. It's a policy of appeasement. And Aaron is not only going to make an idol in direct disobedience to the first two commandments. You'll have no gods before me. You'll make no graven images of me. He's going to facilitate it. So the people say that this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt, which is insane to think about. But he's actually going to build an altar. And he's going to say, Yahweh, it's a feast to Yahweh. He's going to take this golden calf, which clearly is disobedience to the first two commandments, and put the Lord's name over and say, yeah, this is the Lord. It's all good. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Take note. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, and they've turned aside quickly of the way which I commanded them. And they've made themselves molded calf, and worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and indeed is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make you a great nation. 
Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. This is an interesting dialogue. We study this on Tuesday night. But first, the Lord says to Moses, go down. Your people that you've brought out of the land of Egypt are corrupted. So he puts it on Moses. Your people, your people, they're corrupted. But you notice Moses goes, no, no, no. They're, they're your people. You brought them. The words are important. And words are important, aren't they? Words are important. They matter. Ideas matter. Words are important, ideas matter. And in this conversation, the Lord purposely says to Moses, your people have corrupted themselves. It's like a test for Moses and his leadership. And Moses says, well, now they're your people. They're your people. They're not my people. It's really important when you understand that. On any level of leadership, you need to realize, we often say if someone's a leader, is anyone following? Right? I mean, that's the most obvious thing. If someone's a leader, can anyone follow them? So whether you're a leader for crime or a leader for good, or whatever, you know, you're, you know people are following. Now, some positions of leadership are earned, like in the military, if you move up in rank, you, you earn that leadership. You might earn leadership in business with success. But we are leaders. If you're, if you're a parent, you're a leader. You're called to lead your children in the things of the Lord, and it's the greatest responsibility imaginable. If you're a pastor, obviously you're called to lead God's people. Where are you leading them, and are you being led? It just, it goes on and on. To whom to him who has, or who has, more will be given. And to him is given much, much is required. So again, this context of leadership. And notice Moses, he says, he uses God's faithfulness and previous promises. Like, no, no, no. We don't want people blaspheming you, saying that you couldn't follow through just because these people have done this. In other words, we don't want your sovereignty and faithfulness discounted because of man's free will and evil. So please, please. And what does it say? Maybe one of the most important verses of the Bible. So the Lord relented from the harm in verse 14. The Lord relented from the harm. So one man pleading to God, saying they're your people and remembering the promises, it says the Lord relented from the harm. Many times in in the Old Testament you see where the kings might say, well, the moment they do something right, something good can happen from the Lord. You just never know. Like, it's always the right time to do the right thing, right? Martin Luther King Jr. It's always the right time to do the right thing. So if I'm pleading for these people, maybe the Lord will relent from the harm, and he won't destroy them in his wrath. He said to the Ezekiel a thousand years later, I looked for someone to stand in the gap, and I found no one. He said in the time of kings 300 years before Ezekiel, that if my people who are called by name will, will repent of their sins, I'll remove the plagues that are upon them, and I will heal their land. But the people need to cry out. So Moses is crying out to the Lord right here for these people who are rebelling. He's reminding God that they're his people, not Moses' people. Verse 15, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. The tablets were written on both sides. On one side, the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise, that is Joshua from the book of 
Joshua. He heard the noise of the people shouting. He said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, no, it's not the noise of the shout of victory, nor is it the noise of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. They come on this scene. Moses is holding on to, without a doubt, the most important archaeological items in human history. I mean, maybe Noah's archets are up there on ranking, but the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. And that's what he's got. Like, it's incredible to think what is in his hands. The law, the moral law is in his hands. And he's been up there for 40 days and Joshua's kind of halfway up, the apprentice, and he comes down to Joshua. Joshua's like, dude, it's a war. No, it's not. And he's got the Ten Commandments and they move into the camp. And this is what we read in verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf, which they had made, that is the golden calf, burn it in the fire, ground it to powder. He scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it in the fire and mm, this calf came out. We always laugh on that. And at first thought, it's just so ridiculous and silly that you naturally laugh. It's a, when we read this text Tuesday, people laugh. Unfortunately, it's one of the, it's just, it's, I laugh. There's nothing funny about it. It's, Moses broke the Ten Commandments. What God gave them, gave him for the people. He breaks them in frustration. He takes that calf. He melts that thing down, grinds it down, puts it in a drink form and makes them drink it, which is pretty gnarly if you think about it. But you know what? Isn't it true? Whatever a man sows, they'll reap. Whatever a woman sows, she'll, she'll reap. What you sow, you'll reap. As you've sown, so you've reaped. And if you reap to the flesh, you'll reap death and destruction. The Bible tells us that. If you sow peace, you make peace. But the one who lives by the sword will die by the sword. So if we sow violence, we reap violence. If we sow love, we reap love. There's no ambiguity with God. Whatever we sow, we reap. And if you make a golden calf and say, that's who brought you out of the Dead Sea, the Red Sea, who brought you through the Red Sea, and you give that golden calf credit for the 10 plagues that plagued Egypt that delivered you and your descendants from 400 years of, of bondage, and you give that golden calf the credit, then you're going to reap what you sowed. And Moses, the lawgiver, is going to let you drink which you worshiped. It's pretty radical when you think about it. But you know, Jesus said it best. There's not one thought or idle word we ever get away with and we don't give an account for it. So I want to remind us tonight as we think about drinking a beverage with the ground down golden calf that we will all stand before the Lord, each one of us, and give an account for not just our words, every idle word, Jesus said, but the thoughts and the intents of our heart, what was the motive of what we did and why. 
So instead of trying to please everybody else, which we often do as human beings, we should take a good look in the mirror and really think about who we're seeing and who's forming the character, the thoughts, the ideologies, the words, the dispositions, and the attitudes of that person. And if it's the Lord Jesus Christ and it's the mind of Christ that's in you, you will do just fine on the day of Christ Jesus. Because we're told everything's tested by fire. So all that people yell and scream in human experience, in every generation, it all fades away and we all step into eternity. I saw a clip years ago of Charlie Chaplin. You remember the famous uh, actor before there was audio and acting? And he was uh, pro-war for World War I. And I remember seeing these clips of Charlie Chaplin doing the fundraising, getting America to enter into World War I. About 1916, these, these old movie clips. And if you look at just how intense everybody was and how rabid everyone was about the USA entering this world war, the worst war, the great war, the, the worst war of all time on the planet. And people were raging and screaming and rioting. And the Bolsheviks, when they rose in Russia, they were rioting against the Tsar. And the Tsar's people beat them down and killed hundreds of them in their riots between 1905 and 1918 in that timeline. And then when Stalin came to power, he killed millions of them in riots and death camps. And guess what, WG? They're all gone. Like the people that lived in these houses in 1920 in Long Beach and Huntington Beach, they're all gone. We need to remind ourselves that we're just passing through. And whatever rages in our generation rages in our generation, and whatever rage in the next generation will rage in theirs, and whatever rage in the generation preceding us rage in the generation preceding us. We just got to keep that in mind. Because we're going to drink whatever we worship. We're going to drink whatever we worship. So if we're drinking the love and the grace and the humility and the hope of heaven, that's going to be a flavorful drink. But if we're drinking bitterness and wrath and violence and hostility and rage, that's what, if that's what we're worshiping, that's what we're going to drink. And we'll give an account for it on the day of the Lord. So don't let anyone's standards move you other than the standards of the Lord Jesus Christ guiding and governing your life. Because you can take the bait for any number of reasons, any number of causes, any generation, any time. Man, they drank that golden calf. Think about what we're worshiping. Because if we're worshiping Jesus with these songs of Scott Cunningham, if that's your beverage, good for you. Wake up feeling good on Sunday morning. But if we're drinking the golden idols of lust, wrath, and all these things, division and discourse, then you know what? That's a, that's a Sunday hangover of the flesh. Think about what we're worshiping. It's a powerful story that they drank it. They drank it. Verse 25. Now Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And to all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword in his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi, they're the priests, they did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourself to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. So, 
3,000 people died. Now, it's been pointed out that when God gave the law, 3,000 people died. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Maybe you've heard that, this comparison. It's an interesting comparison. But let me just point out something about that comparison, why I don't like it. The 3,000 people have nothing to do with God giving the law. It has to do with them worshiping a golden calf. God's law is true, just, noble, and praiseworthy, and beautiful. God's law didn't kill anybody. It, it's, it's life. It reveals be- beauty and virtue of the character of God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. His law is good. His law doesn't kill 3,000 people. 3,000 people worshiping a golden calf and drinking the fluid of that golden calf, that's what kills 3,000 people. There are times where if you don't execute what's destroying you, it will destroy you. My uncle, Buddy, I never met him. He died before I, stepped, before I was born. My mom's older brother, her big brother that she loved and looked up to. Buddy got cancer in his 20s. And they cut off a leg to try and save his life. His bride, Danine, was at the funeral for my mom's graveside. When I buried my mom in Cleveland in January, I buried her right next to her brother, Buddy, and her sister, Susan. Both my aunt and uncle I never met. They both died of cancer before I came into the world. But Buddy lost a leg. They, they amputated a leg to try and save him from his cancer. Yes, sometimes you cut off a limb to save the body and the life. That's how cancer can work sometimes. It didn't work in Buddy's case. It didn't save his life. There are things you have to cut off and you have to execute or it kills you. Do you understand that? There are attitudes, lust, dispositions, ideologies, thoughts that will kill you if you do not cut them off and make them subject to Christ Jesus. They'll kill you. So you either cut them off or they'll poison the whole body. They'll poison all that you are. As Billy Graham would say, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And if we need to be something in June 2020, we need to be completely under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a gnarly story. You try and picture this, it's hard to picture. You like Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, the movie? They don't show this scene like this. This is difficult obedience. This is very difficult obedience to, to do this and to fulfill this situation the way they did. But these people had to be cut off or it's going to destroy everybody. It's like the plague. It has to stop somewhere. And this is where it had to stop. It's all happened on one day. Hey, guess what? When the day of the Lord comes and God's wrath is revealed, hey, did you figure it out? Party's over. Party's over. Party's over. There's a day coming for all of us. Whatever we're living for, the party's over. Like Jesus said, oh, foolish man, who are you? Tonight your soul will be required of you, and then who will fight over your barns and all your produce and all your stuff? Who may be an arbitrator over you and your brother? Is what Jesus said in Luke. There's a day when the party's over. It's like a party, and the party's over. We step into eternity, and the party's over. Quite often in time, the party's over before we step into eternity. Verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, so now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you've written. And the Lord said to Moses, 
Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the places I've spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. And again, I say ideas, ideologies, attitudes, actions have consequences. They have consequences. So we need to consider well these things in our life. And now as we consider leadership, we think, okay, there's a story of two leaders called to lead God's people at the same time in two different places. They're both leaders of God. They're brothers. And in these 40 hours and the subsequent days that follow the immediate days, it's a test of their leadership. This is a test of leadership and all leadership is tested. Think of all the pastors and business leaders whose leadership and family members and leaders of families have been tested in the last 15 15 weeks. How many businesses have gone out of business with leadership being tested and not passing that test? How many families have fallen apart with leadership being tested and not passing that test? How many churches will not gather again because the leadership did not pass that test? We've all been tested. And we've all had tests in our lifetime, but has anything tested us more than 2020? Whether you're young or old, you've been tested. We've all been tested, and we're still being tested. This is a test. And I can't pass the test for other people with other responsibilities, but I most definitely can look in the mirror and consider well my responsibilities and how I'm going to pass these tests for me as a disciple of Christ as a husband leading a marriage in his 33rd year, as a father leading adult children and four grandchildren, as a pastor leading a Calvary Chapel church in Orange County, California, in the state of California, in the year of our Lord, 2020. That's what I'm trying to do. That's why I'm alive. I'm alive to teach you the word and lead you in the things of God. I'm alive right now to tend this flock to feed these sheep, and to feed these lambs. That's why I'm alive. And I appreciate you being here tonight and trusting in the Lord's calling on my life and trusting me to lead you in this responsibility. Now, I will give an account for those other things I said, but this is my purpose. This is my purpose in life. When, when I'm driving home yesterday from my mom's house, driving up the five from North San Diego County, like why in the world am I alive right now? It is for this moment in this place. Escuchame, por favor. Listen to me, please. There's two leaders here, and we need to take a good look at them because we don't want to follow the one leader, and we don't want to be that one leader, and we want to follow the other leader, and we want to be that kind of leader. So listen closely. Aaron, he's failed leadership. Huh. That he even is alive after this day is amazing grace, but it just proves that his priesthood fails, and Jesus would have to establish another priesthood according to the Lord of Melchizedek. If you know, it's another Bible study. But let's look at Aaron. Okay, now Aaron, let's look at his his words and actions. In verse 2, Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings. He gave them the idea on how to build the idol. Now remember, when they left Egypt, God said, you plunder the Egyptians and take from their neighbors your fair wages, what they owed you. So they took it. But no sooner had God given them recompense for past evil deeds, and now they're giving it for idolatry. And Aaron is a spiritual leader taking it from them for idolatry. So he, 
Here's the idea. Ideas have consequences. He gave an idea. It says in verse 4, he received the gold from their hands. He just didn't take the idea, an evil idea, and give it to them. He took the gold from them to execute the evil idea. Then he fashioned the molded calf. So God's given instruction about what his robe's going to look like with the 12 beautiful stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the, the gold cords where he'll bear the, nat- the names of Israel on his shoulders. And at the same time, he's betraying everything that God is setting him up for with all the blessings. He's betraying that by what he's doing right here. He built the golden calf. He didn't say, this is your God. He let them say it. They said, this is your God. He didn't say it, but he built it for them. He let them say it. He built an altar. Because when you're carnal and you're compromising, you still want to feel good about yourself and your religion, so you got to build an altar. And then he made a proclamation. Tomorrow's a feast to Yahweh. He's just let, he just built a golden calf and said, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. I am that I am. I mean... That's, that's incredible. He's, it's a feast to the Lord. He's invoking the name of the Lord in the same party with the golden calf. But people do that all the time. But do not be deceived. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So whenever anyone brings in moral darkness and said God has something to do with it, they're lying. And they're, they're bringing wrath upon themselves for misleading the Lord and the character of the Lord and the word of the Lord and the things of the Lord. He made a proclamation tomorrow as a feast to Yahweh. Look, you can, you can put religion over any carnal pursuit. It's, there's nothing new in 2,000 years of church history and even with the Jews in the Old Testament. There's no shortages of churches that are Jesus as they concoct them in their mind plus carnality and evil, but justified because, of course, God's a God of their own imagination. So they redefine Jesus. They neglect the blood. They neglect the cross the necessity of faith, and you just replace it with a, a social Jesus and a culturally sensitive Jesus and a culturally relevant Jesus. So you can all eat, drink, and be merry and sin and do whatever we want. They'll give an account and they'll drink, that, they'll drink that drink when they stand before the Lord. God forbid you drink that drink, but they will. There's no shortage of finding men and women like Aaron who will say Yahweh's made a feast while we live in sin and do what we want to do and justify it however we want to do it. Don't be that type of person and definitely don't follow that kind of person. Because there's a way that seems right to men and women, but the end thereby is death. And if you listen to someone worked up long enough, you might actually think they're right. You test all things, hold fast out which is good. The Brians search the scriptures to see if these things are true. I have one objective when I come here every time I teach, is that I'm teaching the word of God contextually, properly, historically, according to the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's goal number one. Number two is bringing forth an application to our lives for our timeline. It's my highest goal. I learned it from Pastor Chuck, and that's what I, I try to do. And occasionally, maybe I got something a little like, oh, I didn't catch that. And then Sam can tell me what it was, or one of the pastors. Yeah? I, I always, for some reason in my mind, I said, all the promises of God are yes, yes, or no, no. But there is no, no, no. And Sam's like, you know, I was looking for that verse. I'm like, well, let's find it. And I guess it's not there. So I just... Deleted a couple audios where I said, no, no, deleted them, corrected the edits, and okay, never did it again. <laughs> We're all under construction, right? Then I'll be teachers. We'll receive a stricter account. You need people that tell you, you know, I can't find that. No, no. You need people like that in your life, right? You do. 
Hopefully, you're, if you're married, you're married to someone like that, and they can say it graciously, and they help you in the journey. We don't need yes men, we need yes, or yes women. We need people that build us up and encourage us and tell us what we need to hear, not always what we want to hear. To our own benefit. Aaron also said, um, later on as we, we follow Aaron in his failed leadership, there's more. In verse 21, Moses says that he brought a sin upon them. So we know in his leadership he stumbled them. He stumbled them. This is radical. He stumbled them. This is very sobering. His failed leadership and enabling them to pursue their sin, he stumbled them, and he's accountable for it. And then he makes excuses, which is very common with failed leadership. Verse 22, you know the people, they're set on evil. So, Moses like, why did you do this? He goes, well, you know the people, they're set on evil. That's what the sons of Adam do, right? Adam, what'd you do? Hey, you know the woman you gave me. It's the woman's fault. And then he's like, yeah, it's a serpent. That's the human thing. You know, it's like failed leadership is excuses. Adam, eh, the woman you gave me, and even implying that somehow it's God's fault. And Aaron says, you know the people. Hey, let's be reasonable here. We've been in ministry together for a while. We went through the, the Red Sea. We did things. Hey, let's be reasonable. Look, you and me, we stood before Pharaoh. You and me, let's, look, man, this, let's, let's be reasonable. You know the people. They're evil. They're set on evil. Now, that seems reasonable because most of you go, like, dude, you're right. These are the wickedest people. These people are stiff-necked. God just told me that on the mountain. He just said, they're stiff-necked people. Yeah, they are evil. Yeah, what are we going to do about it? He didn't say that. That's just an excuse. I told you years ago, my wife very graciously said something to me in this context. She goes, I like it when you say you're sorry. But I like it more when you don't give an excuse for it. Oh, yeah, when you say you're sorry, it's like it's because the dogs were barking or because the kids provoked you or somebody yelled at you on the freeway. Like, I don't like, if you say you're sorry and that's the sentence, that's a pretty good sentence. I'm sorry. But if you got a calm, it's like, I'm sorry, but the dogs were driving me nuts and the air conditioner wasn't working. Okay, we don't need that part of the sentence. Less is more. And we don't need excuses. No one needs your excuses. Sorry works well for failed leadership and godly leadership, but we don't need to make excuses. Every time, my wife did me such a favor because for years now, when I'm thinking like, hey, I, I even sense I'm starting to make an excuse, I'm like, what? For what? Just say you're sorry and go forward and act like you're sorry. We don't need excuses. Don't need excuses. You know the people that... And then verse 25. Look at verse 25. Oh my goodness, verse 25. That it says that Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. His lack of restraint upon these people, but enabling them to go in their direction of the flesh was to their shame before their enemies. It just takes one bad apple to discredit all the other good apples of any walk of life. You know the famous story of my chiropractor? That one day, he just wanted to pick on pastors. And he said to me, 
Well, Joey, you know, these TV preachers, they're a bunch of hot air, blah, blah, blah. And you know, what about this guy that ripped off everybody's money? And, you know, they're, 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 you know these guys are cons. I was like, you know, it's funny, Chris, because I've had people tell me the same thing about chiropractors. <laughs> and he stopped. And he looked at me and goes, dude, you got me. He took it like a man. Now, can you fix this C5 down here? You know, now that you know there's bad pastors and bad chiropractors and good pastors and good chiropractors. Thank you. Okay, good. But he stopped and goes, you got me. And that wasn't, that wasn't my intent. It was just like, dude, it's, you know, if you're looking for a bad apple, it's a human race. You don't have to go very far to find a bad apple. It's not hard. Yeah. So that's failed leadership. But what about the godly leadership? Let's look at Moses. Okay, now this, this is hard because there's something in his leadership that we're going to... It's faithful leadership, and it's God, but it's, it's godly leadership, but it's faithful. Well, first of all, we saw back in verse 11 that he pleaded with the Lord for the people. See, a godly leader isn't trying to destroy people. He's pleading for people. He's trying, he or she is interceding for people to the best outcome possible for them. A godly leader is not about, oh, I can be the new boss of a new covenant. The godly leader is like, you know what? This is really a horrible situation, but God have mercy the godly leader is praying for mercy and grace for those who have made mistakes. That's what happens here with Moses. I mean, you can read the same text. It says he pleaded with the Lord for these people. The people that are worshiping the golden calf, he was pleading for them. That's what godly leaders do. They pray for those that don't know enough to pray for themselves. That's the beginning of some good godly leadership and some faithful leadership. And look what happened. Because he prayed that way, God relented from the harm. See, God was going to wipe out all of them. Instead, 3,000 got wiped out. Just the ringleaders, I suppose. Moses' pleading saved far more lives than the consequence of justice and the wrath of God on the 3,000 was. See, you think, oh, man, 3,000 people, that's so brutal. And people who hate the Bible hate stuff like that. It's like, well, actually, it should have been everybody. It should have been everybody. It was just the leaders. It was merciful that God's wrath was limited to 3,000 people, the leaders. The leaders, were those 3,000 people that were executed, they were an example to the others to learn from that disobedience. And listen, God said through Ezekiel, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? What's the answer? One more time. Does he take pleasure in the death of the wicked? No, he does not. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He sent his son on the cross to die for the wicked. He sent his son because he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So an execution of 3,000 people, that's mercy because it's like the ringleaders. The other people were guilty, the culpability on the other people, the consequence of what the fascism of Nazi Germany was for all of Europe is inconceivable even to this day going to having been to russia i can tell you it's still inconceivable what the russian people went through at the expense of the nazis in world war ii and we think well the russians are soviets not all russians are soviets there are russians like you and me that were in jail and they pulled us out of jail for our faith so we could go fight the nazis on the on the eastern front (laughs) you're like and time has a way of playing some things and some things a different way. And sometimes you see justice and sometimes you don't, like the Nuremberg trials or whatever. But sometimes you don't and people get away with stuff. But remember, when we step into eternity, nobody gets away with anything. Nobody. 
Heaven is no more tears and no more sorrow, which means it's a place of light and light and peace and perfect justice. Because if there was injustice in heaven, there would be sorrow. But there's not. And Jesus is a perfect, just judge. And the Father loves the Son, has committed all judgments to him. So whatever Nazis got away with, whatever they got away with after World War II, they didn't get away with anything when they stepped into eternity, any more than you or I or anyone else gets away with anything in our timeline or our grandchildren's timeline. But God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Moses pleaded for him. Moses broke down that golden calf. He tore down, like, like Gideon tore down his dad's idol to Baal. It's got to start somewhere. He tore that thing down. He broke the Ten Commandments. Ah! And then he grabbed that calf and he melted it and made him drink it. Sometimes it takes a lot of courage to tear down the golden calf. If the multitude is having the party of their flesh and they're dancing, having the big party, and you show up and you're the one that stops the party... Later on, just a year from now, in Kadesh Barina, the people are going to try and Moses fears for his life that they're going to stone him. The mob is going to stone him and Joshua and Caleb because they're saying we should go into the promised land and the other 10 spies said we should not go into the promised land. The mob mentality is crazy. Moses took on this gigantic block party of people out of control, grabbed their golden calf, melted that thing down, made a drink of it and made them drink it. It's a bad dude. That's some serious leadership right there. John the Baptist said, make straight the crooked path. This is making straight the crooked path right then and there. It's hardly a comparison, but when I used to do things with my mom, the officer's wife, and she caught me in line, man, she grabbed that little piece of hair right in the front. I just enough you could grab it. She'd march me to the bathroom, that bar of soap. She ever heard a bad word? Man, it was swift and quick. Immediate accountability. Set that straight. Sometimes you got to deal with things right here and now. Like you realize, like, if I don't deal with this right now, this is going to get way away from us. And, and faithful leadership will deal with things and deal with it. Not because it's popular or easy, but if you got to rip down a golden calf, rip it down. If you got to tear down your dad's altar, but all, if you got to do it at night because you're a little nervous, hey, it's better than not at all. Tear it down, get in. And maybe your dad will be inspired by your faith and he'll stand up for you when they all want to kill you the next day in the village which is exactly what happened in the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. He tore down that golden cap. He made him drink it. I don't know how he made him drink it. He must have just been so gnarly when he was worked up. He was like, whoa, he's like a bad dude. And it's like, you know, like, I can't even imagine. But he did. This happened. This happened in the Sinai Peninsula 3,500 years ago. On a day just like this day. This happened. And it's here for us, for our admonition, we're told by the Holy Spirit. Now, he also said, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. He drew a distinction. It's important. Faithful leadership draws a distinction between light and darkness, right and wrong. And he drew that distinction. Hey, whoever's on the Lord's side, this is the Lord's side. So we talked about consecration, anointing, and and sanctification last week. He's like, hey, either on this side or that side. But there's no ambiguity here. Either on the Lord's side or you're not. People say, whose side are you on? This side or that side? I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the side of Jesus. That's the side we're on. And the sight of Jesus is a bruised reed he doesn't break, a smoking flax he doesn't quench, and he doesn't raise his voice screaming in the city square. That's what Isaiah said about Jesus. If you have to shout down people to make your point, you're not, you're not, you're not spirit-filled. Because the Holy Spirit tells us Jesus would not raise his voice to make his point. 
prophetically speaking of the ministry of Jesus, said he's not going to shout out in the street. He's not going to break a bruised reed. He's going to heal it. And a smoking flax, he's not going to quench. He's going to stir it up. He's going to take what's good and make it better. In an age where everyone shouts down each other, just think how Jesus carried himself in all of his ministry. You go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will never see him trying to shout down anybody. You'll see him washing their feet and forgiving them of their sins, and he will confront false teachers. But he doesn't, he actually withdraws from them and stays on point with what God's called him to do, the Father. I always do those things that please the Father. Stuff we need to learn from. Moses said, if you're, if you're in light, you're in light. If you're not, you're not. Decide this day. Consecrate yourselves, verse 29. He led them into consecration. And then in verse 30, this is golden. He says, perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. Actually, Moses, it's a good thought, but you can't. Only Jesus can make atonement for their sins. It says in Romans, scarcely would a good man die for someone, you know, a bad man, an average man, even a good man. But even if a good man died for you, they can't save you. I can't save you. Moses can't save you. The blood of Moses can't save anybody or make atonement for us. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can make atonement for us. And the, and the Lord's like, you know what? That's, a, that's kind of a good thing. Moses is like, blot me out of your book. Moses is saying, I'll go to hell so they can go to heaven. That's what he's saying right here. And who else said that? Paul the Apostle said in the book of Romans. I'll go to hell so they can go to heaven. Paul said that for the Jews, his people. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. But we're told by the Holy Spirit, he laid down his life for his enemies. And even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. This is faithful leadership. This is godly leadership, where it's not about people serving us, but us serving others, because Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom of God is a servant of all, and the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. This is the example of our Savior. And let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who considered not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself into the point of death, the death of the cross. Let that mind be in you. This is the leadership we need to be in our homes, in our work, in our community, and in this church. We're all under a death sentence. The Holy Spirit crucifying our flesh. It's not about our rights that we can lose in time, space, and matter. It's about who we serve with our treasures in eternity for all glory and all eternity. And we cannot lose sight of that. Ever, in any generation, under any timeline. That's faithful leadership, to have that perspective. He was willing to be blotted out of the book. But then the Lord had the last say. He said, you know what? Whoever sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. You could almost miss that. God doesn't have a lengthy dialogue right here. He goes, whoever sins against me, I'll blot him out of the book. And the wrath of God is revealed by what the Father did to the Son on the cross that we could be saved by grace. So we're all going to either face the wrath of God one of two ways. We face the wrath of God because we think we can stand before God as a son of Adam or daughter of Eve, and we're under his wrath. And we're, de- we're condemned. Jesus said... The Son didn't come to the world to condemn anyone. The world's already condemned because they believe in not in the Son. But when we believe in Jesus and give our life to Christ, we pass from death to life. And Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why is that forsaking me? That is the wrath of God. He literally did go to hell for us. What Moses wanted to do but couldn't, what Paul said he'd be willing to do but didn't, Jesus did for us. That's what he did. Forsaken by the Father is hell, and he descended and set captivity free for us. 
So we don't need to be baited by anything that would bait us, whatever it could be in our time and our generation. Jesus says, the one that sins against me, I'll blot him out. But you, you're led by me. So you lead my people and let my angel lead you and stay in your lane and get back on track with what I called you to do. And that's exactly what he says to all of us on June 13th, 2020.